Today in Agronomy on KFIL AM 1060 with Pioneer Field Agronomist Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner. Here's Josh and Allie. Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. Today is March 10th, 2021. Josh, this is episode number 63. Um, exciting time of the year. I like it when we get to this middle part of March. Obviously, we've been in the planning phase with customers for quite a while now, but those really start to pick up pace as this weather warms up. Um, And I'm always intrigued by all the different avenues that some of our conversations take. There's always a ton of different ideas that get thrown at us that folks are looking to try. Um, And I think it's maybe important today just just to talk about on-farm trials in general, maybe how we can assess some of these things we're looking to try and maybe what are some trials we should be keeping uh, top of our mind. So for starters today, I think we should start on the soybean side of things. Yeah, and when when you think about um, you know trials today, and in, in some cases growers probably get tense when they think of a trial. That they think about you know planter cleanouts or additions or this and that. And uh, yeah, I think the first thing when we we do think about trials today, it's it's maybe a little different approach. In some cases, we might still be doing some you know more um, labor intensive trial trials. Um, but in some cases, you know, Allie, we can also look at this from a digital standpoint where we can you know, set up trials that can be a, a card in, card out, card in, card out kind of trial. So, you know, I, I encourage growers to think of on-farm trials. I think every grower should do um, some kind of an on-farm trial each and every year, um, just from a standpoint of, you know, what are some of the new trends? Could this work for me? And, and just trying to identify, you know, what are those new things that are going to, you know, maybe drive yield or re- drive, drive return on investment, which is probably you know, even front and center more important. But, um, but I thought in segment one here, Allie, you know, maybe talk about soybeans. Um, then in segment two, we'll, we'll talk about corn trials. Um, you know, from a soybean standpoint, Allie, it, um, you know, a lot of things going on. There's a lot of things we can be looking at. We're going to do a little bit of work too, but the first thing that always comes to my mind with soybeans today is looking at it, just a simple trial of population. Yeah, it's as I've been at meetings this winter, especially, that's becoming a bigger part of the topic of conversation. I think soybean seeding rate can arguably be one of the most heavily debated, um, you know, decisions that we make in that soybean crop. Um, And a lot of folks are talking about, you know, how much could we consider ratcheting back our soybean populations to really find that kind of sweet spot and just really efficient use of that seed across farms. So as we look at maybe analyzing some lower pops versus our kind of our average right at that 140 or maybe even some higher populations, um, what are some different ways in your mind of how we could easily set that up? Yeah, um, a, a couple of things we could do um, to set up a population trial. If you if you do have a variable seed capability, we, we could look at a randomized block uh, structure to that where we could assist making a, a variable rate prescription where maybe we're going to look at, you know, you could look at four replications of what you are doing now. You could look at maybe four replications um, of, of maybe what you're thinking about doing or maybe a higher population. And then also maybe looking at, at, at four blocks that could be, um, you know, lower populations, maybe as low as 120 or even 100. Um, in some cases, there is a little bit of interest in, in really understanding lower populations and the importance of, of singulation or row spacing, which is as we look at um, more speed tubes and um, eliminating that, you know, basically having planters that can really singulate soybeans at, at a really accurate level um, can be something to look at. And in some cases, you know, maybe even going lower than that in some situations. I've been reading some studies of you know, if you can get really uniform, perfect spacing, that there could be some value even in some uh, extremely low populations. And uh, 
Allie, that's something I'm sure you're looking at. And I'm, I'm trying to find a couple of cooperators to, to work on trials like this. Or on the flip side, you could also just look at it at doing strip trials. Or you can look at some side-by-sides or if you can change rate on the fly, even just some long strip trials can be a really easy way to do it, Allie. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of justification, you know, currently to really assessing some of these lower planning populations. You look at, in some cases, maybe in these trials in the past, we've seen lack of soybean yield response to increased populations. And I think you can agronomically explain a lot of that just due to the fact that we know that, you know, plant to plant spacing in soybeans, I think we've found to be very, very important. And it contributes to more branching, ultimately pods. Um, and and ultimately more yield. So I think there's a lot in that space that we'll continue to assess as we move forward. Um, How about, you know, you talked a little bit about like soybean singulation or planning or some of the exact emerge planners, anything there that folks could take a look at, you know, just in terms of maybe plant spacing between an exact emerge versus the historical speed tubes or just different setups that way. Yeah, it's always a hard um, trial to get side by side because it would take two two planner systems to do it. Um, however, um, you know, it's something we talked a lot about in corn for years, and, and some of the data suggests that it might be equally important, if maybe even not a little more important in soybeans. Um, and again, there's a lot of planners that maybe today we currently can't really uh, manage that at hyper accurate spacing. But again, um, with, with more speed tube technology coming to the farm gate, I think it's probably going to be one of the number one things in soybean as we look at really driving the next yield level is that we're going to have to, you know, we've talked about early planning, we've talked about seed treatment, we've talked about the importance of fungicide. I think the next big thing in, in soybeans is going to be really um, accurate spacing. Like you said, it really helps branching. And if you really watch, you know, really investigate looking at soybean spacing and pulling plants, you'll see when you get, you know, 10 or 12 plants that are spaced perfectly, just how much more branching the pod counts are higher. And that's just something we really got to look at. And when we come out of break alley, we'll talk about some some uh, on-farm trials from a corn standpoint and talk about some of the, the newer and latest, greatest things in that arena. Welcome back listeners. Um, Allie, we With all the warm weather, we're talking trials today. And um, uh, we talked a little bit about some soybean trial opportunities, talked about, you know, population getting to be a really big thing, singulation um, really getting to be popular in soybeans. And we talked about some of the other, you know, high yield soybean factors that uh, we've kind of been talking about this off season. Uh, Shifting gears uh, to corn, um, obviously a lot of things we can do there. Um, You know, population is still something that um, I always like to have some growers do some strip trials that just to try to understand, you know, kind of their practices and what population can be. But sometimes um, I guess population trials and corn, they're, they're, they're really good. They're important to do, but I sometimes think they get kind of boring. So what else can we be, you know, maybe tying to that, or can we tie another factor to the population? I think that's really important because a lot of times when you do look at higher population and corn, that probably should come with more intensive nutrient management, maybe some other management factors where um, that's where I get a little bit more excited if we can layer some of those factors on top of each other, Ellie. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we talk about corn in comparison to soybeans, you hit on this in segment number one, but it is important to remember that with a lot of these trials, whether it's uh, the population versus adding other factors like fungicide or nutrient management, you know, there's a lot of really great just card in card out trials that allow you to not have to really do too much additional work to get these um, working across your operation. So, you know, one thing I look to look at is if we can do some randomized blocks between maybe two different populations on the corn side of things. I think it is really interesting for starters, maybe to split half those 
blocks with a fungicide application, uh, those without, um, maybe you split the other half with a higher rate of, you know, AMS in 32 and, and a lower rate on the other blocks. So there's so many different ways that you can split information. But one, one piece right now that I'm really intrigued to look at, Josh, and I think you've had a lot of questions about this too, um, is how could we assess infro fungicides across our operations? There's some new products in the marketplace, and I think it's really becoming a greater topic of conversation currently. Yeah, it really has. And it's been one of the, probably the most common question I've got from customers the last uh, three, four weeks is um, there are some new products um, on the market from, from an inferral fungicide standpoint um, that, that look exciting. They're intriguing. The, the translocation, the length of, of activity, you know, in some cases, you know, we're looking at some inferral applications that, you know, can help manage some northern corn leaf blight and gray leaf spot, which you look at how long that's hanging on, that, that that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, and we've done a little bit of, of prior work in this space, Allie. You know, um, the one thing we found with inferral fungicide, you know, maybe outside of the disease control is we've, we've seen a little bit better stand establishment, you know, final stand counts have been better. So that's just a little, some benefits we've seen from some previous work. Um, previously, we really couldn't get the long, the translocation and the long-term benefits. And, and now there's some products out there that, that maybe got that capability. And, and, and I think when, if you're setting up a trial like this, you could look at, you know, could you set up half the planter to have it, or do we got to, or could you split the farm? You know, obviously we got to do some things there. Um, looks like these products we can add right to liquid fertilizer, which makes it really easy where we don't got to have a special system. Um, but a lot of are really neat things there. And I'm kind of excited about it when you think about getting closer to the, uh, the Mississippi River, really east of Highway 52, where we have a lot of acres that because of woods and terrain and side hills that, you know, a foliar application of fungicide at tassel just isn't realistic. And I'm kind of excited, could this be an alternative um, to, to maybe take place of some of that? Um, again, we're talking probably a 15 to $20 investment in furrow. So it is a big investment, but um, at the same time, it would be huge if we could get some of those benefits on those acres that we can't get over the top. Yeah, so I thought you laid that out really well. And I think, you know, bottom line here for folks listening is that is, is if you too have any question about some of these infro fungicides and how they're going to work on farm, I think there's going to be a lot of trials or folks trying those on farm this year. So more data to come, you know, after we assess that post-harvest this year, but, you know, a lot to assess in that space of things. I think kind of sticking on that same tune of just what are new things to keep your eye on as we move forward I'd say the biological space is, you know, getting larger and larger. And I think certainly whether we're talking biologicals, micronutrients, or really any other high management um, practices, it's important to remember they're not a replacement for just that sound crop management, kind of the basics. But, you know, I think if we look at having adequate nitrogen and phosphor phosphorus managements, and then taking, you know, biologicals per se as an opportunity to kind of take that next step. Um, I think it's a, and it's, a, it's an exciting space right now that folks are still currently exploring. Um, and I think they've proven so far to, to be effective at increasing crop crop yields, but still a lot to learn. Any any comments on that, Josh? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably break them into two segments. Uh, one, you mentioned um, the micronutrient side of things. And I think it is in, in today's production, you know, um, we, we probably need to, especially if you're in for a starter, I, I think some kind of a micronutrient pack. Obviously, we talk a lot about zinc. But there are some products that, that that put some other nutrients in furrow, and I think doing some homework on that and really finding the best one. Um, I think I just think if you look at at high yield management, I, I think that's almost a must um, today, especially coming into some improved commodity prices. I, I just think we really want to try to to drive yield. 
the biological space, still a lot to learn there. Um, the, the one thing I always try to point out is also understand, you know, your seed provider pioneer. We have some stuff that's on our seed already. I think it's important. Number one, understand maybe what's coming with the seed and then start doing some more homework on, hey, you know, what do I have already? And what are some other things I could take a look at that could maybe drive uh, early emergence, early root growth? which is far north, I just think are really, really important. So yeah, a lot of great ideas and um, you don't be shy to reach out if you got questions on these and uh, be sure to tune in next week and we'll be uh, talking some more digital with our our new digital lead, uh, Sam. So be sure to tune in then. You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner. Submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. We'll see you at 11 a.m.